0: Well, good evening. It's good to see each one of you back in the Lord's house tonight. Would you stand with me, please? Let's turn to page 110. Page number 110, blessed be the name. We'll sing all three verses to begin our service tonight. Page 110, sing it out on the first. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, blessed be the name of the Lord, the glories of my God and King. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Jesus, the name that charms our fears, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Tis music in the sinners ears. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name. name blessed be the name of the lord he breaks the power of canceled sin blessed be the name of the lord his blood can make the foulest clean blessed be the name of the lord blessed be the name blessed be the name Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord, amen. Well, it is good to see each one of you back tonight. We're glad that you chose to be in church tonight, amen. I can't think of a better place to be, so, than to be right here in the Lord's house. We're going to begin with a word of prayer tonight. And that's for Brother Seth Wisdom, would you open us in prayer tonight, please? Amen. You may be seated. Just want to leave a few uh, announcements with you as we begin together tonight. Don't forget that uh, tomorrow, if you have students in faith after school, of course there's no school in honor of President's Day tomorrow. And then also don't forget, men, uh, if you want to go to the Bacon and Bullets activity this Saturday, uh, make sure that uh, you understand it's uh, Golden Corral at 8 in the morning. All right? And uh, so we'll meet there uh, over at Black Bob and Santa Fe. And then um, if you're going just for the, the breakfast part of it, Make sure you put bacon beside your name when you sign up on the way out, all right? And uh, for the rest of us, we'll head over to the shooting uh, range after uh, the breakfast time is over there and the fellowship time is over. And then also um, on the back table on your way out is also the sign-up sheets for our youth rally that is coming up in the month of March. Uh, So make yourselves available to that and there's things out there you can sign up for um, as far as food uh, that they're going to be needing, things like that. So make sure and check that out on your way out and sign up for those things, all right? And uh, we're looking forward to having a good youth rally. Brother Jason Jett's going to be here preaching this year. And if you've not heard Brother Jason Jett preach before, you're going to enjoy it. Uh, he's a great, great man of God. And there'll be a blessing to the teenagers and all those that'll be here. And, of course, we always encourage all of the church to come out for the youth rally. All right? It'll be a great night. You'll get a blessing from us. So make sure that you plan for that. Brother, where's Brother Jack? Is he in here? I can't. I think it's, the, I don't even remember the exact date of the youth rally. I think it's 17th or It's the 17th, so I was right about that. Okay, I didn't want to speak out of turn. So the 17th is the night of the youth rally, okay? And I know they're already, they're having Chick-fil-A catered in. I mean, the Lord's chicken will be here, all right? So that's the reason enough to come, okay? So uh, make sure that uh, you plan for that, okay? Let's continue singing from page number 52. Page number 52, the lily of the valley. We'll sing all three verses tonight. Page number 52, sing it out on that first verse. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow, he's my comfort. In trouble, he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He all my griefs has taken and all my sorrows borne. In temptation he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn. From my heart and now he keeps me by his power.
1: Though all
0: the world forsake me and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here, while I live by faith and do his blessed will. Oh, all the fire about me I've nothing now to fear With this manna he my hungry soul shall fill Then sweeping up to glory I'll see his blessed face Where rivers of delight shall ever roll He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul and for all that the Lord is to us and all that he's given us, now we get a chance to give back to him. Amen. Just a small part of what he's blessed us with. And for Brother Micah Quinlan, would you pray for the offering tonight, please? Amen. Turn to page 301 and stand for our last song together. Page 301, Redeemed, we'll sing the first, the second, and the last verse tonight, page number 301. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am, redeemed. Redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed, redeemed His child and forever I am Redeemed and so happy in Jesus No language my rapture can tell I know that the light of His presence With me doth continually dwell Redeemed Redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed, redeemed His child and forever I am On that last verse I know I shall see in His beauty The King in whose light I delight Who lovingly guardeth my footsteps And giveth me songs in the night Redeemed Redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. If you're God's child, say amen tonight. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Wonderful singing. Just before Brother Ben Quinlan comes to preach, we're going to have a special from the Wisdom Family tonight.
2: That God is only always good. Absolutely, praise the Lord for it. Uh, <clears throat> I, every once in a while, I uh, you know we start talking about how God gives blessings and He helps, and we do need to keep in mind that sometimes the blessings that God gives they are good, they are good, but they don't always look that way. <laughs> they don't always appear to be that way at first. But uh, whatever God's doing, even the struggles and the difficulties, they're always good. Always good. Amen. Well, if you take your Bibles again, I want you to turn to Judges, chapter 4. Judges, chapter 4. Excuse me. I mentioned this morning about uh, jail. And so we're going to look at jail tonight. But it's not what a woman message. It's just not. God just has not given me freedom that way. Um, someday, someday, but not just yet. Uh, Judges chapter 4, um, I'm, I'm going to have to do a little bit extra. We, we are not looking at Barak and Deborah. We're not. We're only looking at jails and Sisera in the last half. But I do want to help you see the whole picture So we're going to briefly go through uh, some of that that leads up to where Jael and Sisera have their interaction. Uh, So, let's see, I've been trying to decide all afternoon, and at some point you just have to either go for it or not. So, uh, you're in Judges chapter 4, go ahead and stand with me if you're able, and we're going to start reading in verse 6. We're going to start reading in verse 6. Uh, Deborah has already been introduced. Uh, Deborah it, it tells just a little bit about her. And then in verse 6, we start off where she is going for Barak. All right, verse 6. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Ab- Abinoam, out of Kedish Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent unto the plain of uh, Zanaim, which is by Kedesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron and all the people that were with him from Heresheth of the Gentiles unto the river of Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, "'Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee?' So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, and ten thousand men after him, and the Lord discomfited Sisera, and all his chariots, and all his host, with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot, and fled away on his feet.' But Barak pursued after the chariots, and after the host, unto Heresheth of the Gentiles. And all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera, and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. And he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there any man here that thou shalt say no? Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took an hammer in her hand, and went softly unto him, which was quite a feat in and of itself, wasn't it? And smote the nail into his temples, and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him, and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this account. We thank you for the truth we have of Scripture and and that we can rely upon 100% 100 that these are accounts, true accounts, not just story or myth or legend. And Lord, I pray that as we consider this account of jail and Sisera and all that happened in Israel in that day, uh, I pray that you would help us to understand and to be able to apply your word to our lives here and now so that we might fulfill your will for us today. Lord, I pray that we would not be forgetful hearers, but doers of the word. I pray that you'd give me power from on high to proclaim, thus saith the Lord, Hide me behind the cross, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So, if you look up here behind me, there's a very small map. I'd like to say right now that I appreciate Brother Matt making all that happen for me. Uh, It's a very small map, map, and it has nothing to do with what Matt did. It's just the way it is. So, if you look at that map, I want to go through with you real quick. I said we're not going to be looking at Deborah and Barak and uh, the battle with the army. Uh, with 900 chariots of armor Of iron, I'm sorry 900 chariots of armor <laughs> I don't know why I keep doing that 900 chariots of iron uh, they, that, that was the advantage that Jabin had And if you're foot soldiers Facing 900 chariots of iron you're, you're scared of that You're scared There was a definite advantage In every way man could think of So if you look up here <coughs> Excuse me Did he make it bigger? My word, Matt, is amazing. Praise the Lord. Uh, So what we have here, if you see right there in the middle of the Sea of Chenereth, and just off to the lower left is Mount Tabor. That is where Barak and his army got together. Because if you go straight up from that, uh, around the area of Hazor would have been Heresheth of the Gentiles. And uh, the area from, uh, including Hazor and over there towards Akko... Uh, That is all Zebulun and Naphtali. That's that area. Uh, So they're at Mount Tabor with the army. And, you know, I may have misspoke with Harisheth of the Gentiles. It's not on that map, so you don't have to move it around too much for the map. Uh, But there's a city, maybe I'm thinking uh, Harisheth of the Gentiles would have been right around, if you see just below Akko, there's the River Kishon. And uh, right above the N. Over there near that end would have been Heresheth of the Gentiles, as I'm remembering. Because that's where Jabin ruled out of. That was it. So you've got this little area here between Mount Tabor and uh, the river Kishon. And in between there you see the valley or the vale of Jezreel. Uh, The vale of Jezreel, as you go through scripture, is a very significant valley. Very significant. And its significance is not by any means done. If we were to take a study of the valley of Jezreel here... Uh, it's the valley of decision. It's the valley of Jehoshaphat. It will be uh, during the uh, end of the tribulation when Christ comes back. It will be filled for multiple furlongs, lots and lots of miles worth of blood up to the horse's bridle with all the people that will die at, uh, when Christ comes back. So that is a significant place. Many battles have taken place there. Uh, over near the river Kishon that's up there, you've got Jabin with all of his 900 chariots of, of iron. And then over here at Mount Tabor, you've got Barak and his army. And they come together and God discomfited them, right? Uh, Judges, chapter 5. Look over at chapter 5 here real quick. Over to verse, uh, let's see, let's make sure I'm getting in the right place. Twenty. Verse 20. <coughs> Excuse me. So God discomfited Jabin and his 900 chariots of iron in a very interesting way. It's not necessarily surprising, other than the fact that God made it happen at just the right time. Uh, Verse 20 of Judges 5 tells us, They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away. The ancient river, or that ancient river, the river Kishon. O my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. It's not uh, Barak's 10,000 men that overcame 900 chariots of iron. It's God that sends forth rain, uh, maybe some hail in there. He made a big rainstorm. And what happens with iron and rain? Rust and iron sinks in the mud in the, the Kishon River Valley. They got sucked in the mud. And so those 900 chariots of iron, while at one point would have been a great military advantage now became the coffins and they were going to be killed right there in that place. They had nowhere to go. Um, I I tell you, I praise the Lord and I suppose I'm a little bit too prideful about it, but I've got this new job. I'm not working for Pepsi anymore, praise the Lord. Uh, Working for a, a construction company, driving a dump truck and all that kind of stuff and it gets muddy and it gets gross sometimes and I have not gotten a truck stuck yet hallelujah, I don't look forward to it because it's bound to happen where something goes wrong and uh, as long as I don't turn a truck on its side, I'll be happy. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> I can understand how it, is, it would be very frustrating to have your big advantage become nothing. And so we already read there that uh, uh, Sisera ends up fleeing away on his feet. Because now his his protection is stuck in the mud. He's got nowhere to go. He's going to die if he stays right there. And so he runs. He runs just like any normal person would. And uh, it was mentioned earlier on in Judges chapter 4, let's see, verse 11. It talks about Heber the Kenite. I've always felt like that verse is kind of out of place. It's just all of a sudden, here's Heber the Kenite. Not doing anything, just uh, they were friends, they, were, they, were, they knew each other, that kind of thing. And then it moves on with the story. But it's all for the last half, of course, where Jael is introduced, who is the uh, wife of Heber the Kenite. And so because here, verse 17 in Judges 4, "...howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite." So she, he goes there hoping to find some kind of safety. Now, I've I've looked into this. There's not a lot about Heber and Jael and Jabin and their relationship. There's not a lot there. What we see here is it. It doesn't appear that Heber is real close with Sisera and Jabin, and it doesn't appear that uh, Heber is real close with Israel. He's separated himself from the Kenites, and there's not really a good Uh, a good reason given as to why. But because we know how the story ends up, it surely would seem like somebody in this household is siding with the Israelites and not with Sisera and Jael. I I think that's pretty safe to say. They were more interested in pleasing the people who were in that land and going to stay in that land than they were this guy that uh, God had it out for him anyway. So uh, he goes to this place, he sought safety in the house of Heber the Kenite. Uh, Because he goes into the wife's tent, that in that day, men still had chivalry and wouldn't just barge into the woman's tent. If she said nobody's here, then they were going to take that for granted. They were going to say, okay, she's telling the truth, and we're not going to go barge into her private space. Um, Verse 19, "I I love the fact that she presented him when he asked for water, She presented him with butter. Uh, Look over at Judges chapter 5. It mentions this. uh, Verse 24. Blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. And I'm sorry, the dad in me looks at those verses and understands immediately that J.L. was buttering him up. I no doubt about it. She buttered him up. She, I, I can only imagine uh, they would not have had refrigeration in that day, right? So she didn't present him with a cold glass of milk. This is warm mi- milk. And I'm sorry again for those of you that may understand, she put a dash of nutmeg in it. I just know that's what happened. And so uh, she is presenting this to him to help him sleep to help him be at ease and at peace, and was buttering him up. And I, I don't believe she did this... I i know it sounds weird. I don't believe she did this maliciously. I don't. I think she truly wanted him to be at ease, to be at peace, so she could do God's work. I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. I, I don't think she was mean or mad. Uh, she did it on purpose, with purpose. And uh, it... It came out the way that God wanted it. JL then takes this tent tent spike. Uh, Now, how many of you think of a plastic tent spike about that long, right? Because that's what we go camping with, right? No, this would have been a far more significant uh, tent spike than that. We're talking about something feet long, that it would not have been just a little tiny piece of quarter inch rebar or something. It would have been a significant spike. And that's why I say there's a message here, JL, what a woman, to grab this thing and drive it through his head, straight through his temples, uh, nailing him to the ground. It, it's significant. This is quite a feat. But I'm also certain that this woman, being uh, having a nomadic lifestyle, was no stranger to this kind of work. Uh, not killing people, but driving tent spikes. <laughs> That would make it a little bit weird. Uh, driving tent spikes, I'm sure she did her fair share of work around that tent. I'm sure she was very used to this kind of work and uh, had no problem utilizing the hammer and the spike for this purpose. She would have known what she was doing. If we look back over to uh, Judges chapter 5, uh, verse 26, she put her hand to the nail. And her right hand to the workman's hammer, and with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay down. At her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. And I hope we all understand, in the same way as we are looking at Ehud this morning, this was God's plan that's what God desired. It's what God wanted. The, these were not good people. Cicero was not a good man. He was not doing the will of God. He was the enemy of God's people that he, under the rule of Jabin, had oppressed Israel for many years. They had done wrong. And it was part of their punishment. No doubt about that. But now it was time for that to end. And so since Jabin and Cicero were not willingly yielding themselves to stepping out of the way then God made sure that they, they got out of the way. This was God's plan. It's what God desired. And so Israel prevailed by the hand of God over Jabin king of Canaan. We saw that in those last verses of chapter 4. And so again, as with so much of Judges that I've looked at, we want to look at this and say, okay, how does this apply to us? We're looking at the, the losing of the victorious Christian life, but from what, can be, what we see that is wrong... We can learn what to do, right, and what to avoid. And so we want to bring it to us, and I, I know I'm sorry, I made this uh, quote, um, let's see, disclaimer this morning: "God does not desire for us to kill people." I, I have to make that very clear that God is not desiring for all of you women to learn to use hammers and tent spikes in this way. This is not God's plan for today. So we're clear with that. We can move on. We addressed it this morning. But that's all of this to say that that there is something here for us because I want to look at Jael. I want to look at what she did. I want to look at how she dealt with Sisera and how this can apply to us. So uh, I want to go through it kind of a roundabout means. As we look at this passage of Scripture and as we look through the book of Judges, we find that God's will is to overcome the enemy right it it, it happens time and time again israel does wrong they do evil in the sight of the lord they are uh, oppressed god allows some oppression to come eventually they cry out to god and he answers the cry you know you will find though through the book of judges that the last few chapters the last few judges israel doesn't cry out to god but god sends a judge anyways They're his people and he's going to take care of them and he's going to provide for them. And so judges are sent and uh, God does his work to be able to free the children of Israel in the hope that they will see the error of their ways, that they will turn back to God. Uh, God's will is to overcome the enemy. God wants you in your life to overcome the enemy. There's plenty of enemies out there. We must understand first as as we're looking to Uh, God's will to overcome the enemy, that God's will for you is to have victory, to live the victorious Christian life. God wants that for you. God does not want us to be constantly overwhelmed by the sin in our life. God does not want you to be constantly under the rule of this world, that you are bound by whatever the world does and whatever the world says, and we're just going to go along with whatever the world does. That is not God's desire. It is not God's desire that Satan rule in your life. It is not God's desire that you rule your own life and you decide how things are going to go. No, God wants you to have the victorious Christian life. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Please First Chronicles chapter 29 First Chronicles 29 and verse 11 <clears throat> Excuse me First Chronicles 29:11 the first part of this that I want you to understand is that the victory is the Lord's He wants you to have the victory he wants you to overcome the enemy he wants you to live that victorious Christian life but that victory is his He wins that victory we can look back at Barak and Deborah and how they overcame those 900 chariots of iron. It wasn't the strength of Israel that did that. One of my favorite statements through the book of Judges is when God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, you still have too many. You need fewer people. I don't, and paraphrase, uh, lest Israel, this isn't a paraphrase, lest Israel vaunt themselves and say, mine own hand hath saved me. God hated that. He hated that because then we get proud in ourselves and instead of trusting in God, we continue to do it ourselves. God believes the same earlier in the book of Judges and so he's working to show Israel, look, trust in me. Trust in me. You don't have to go to these other gods. You don't have to stay in in a place of, of oppression and judgment. Trust in me. I will give you the victory. I will hand it to you on a silver platter if you will but trust me, if you will follow what I'm telling you. First uh, Chronicles 29, verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Well, it says a lot more than victory in there, but praise the Lord, victory's in there too. His is the victory. It is, it is God's. It is His, and He wants to give it to you uh... isaiah twenty five isaiah twenty five i would hope that most of you have learned by now that i like looking at a lot of scripture i don't want you taking just my word for it and i try to be careful not to take verses out of context and make them say what i want but we want to find the verses of scripture that reveal the same truth that reveal the points we're trying to make so that we can see this is god's desire and not just what this preacher is saying up here Uh, the reward of victory, the, the, the victory that he has, it's a reward, it's for all his children. Isaiah 25 and verse 8. The mirth, nope, 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 that's the wrong place. Ah, uh, there it is. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. He wants to give you the reward of victory. He wants you to have ultimate and complete victory. It's not going to happen in this lifetime, but it is awaiting us. It is awaiting us. He has that victory for you. There's no doubt. Um, We have, uh, through this victory, we get peace. We have peace through his victory. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Amen and amen. Uh, can, I, can I go off on a short rabbit trail, Lord willing short? Uh, the song on Jordan's stormy banks. I stand and cast a wishful eye. We've all heard that song. We all love that song. What's it talking about? What does that song speak to? Huh? Death. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand. And the whole song is about looking Uh, The Jordan's Banks is like the idea behind that song is I'm crossing into death, and so what's after death for the believer? Heaven, eternal life, the, the boundless glories of heaven, absolutely. And then you start looking at the book of Joshua, and you realize, you know, as Israel stood on Jordan's stormy banks, they were not looking towards eternal bliss. That was not at all what was taking place. I don't know about you, but I don't plan on fighting giants in heaven. I don't plan on sieging cities to try to get that blessing. Uh, it's all done and over with. I understand the point of the song. It is a great song for the point of it. It's just not right. Uh, so if we understand the truth, it's a fine song. I'm not saying you' all need to cut it out of your hymnal or anything like that. We still sing it every once in a while. Um, but what, what we need to understand is that as we're looking at victorious Christian living, there are battles to be fought. We are living in a crooked and perverse generation that, uh, I submit to you, is still not even as bad as some of the things Paul faced. Uh, The things that are becoming the norm now, they were well established as the norm during Paul's day. So it may be the worst we've ever seen it, but I don't know that that our world is the worst as it's ever been. Unfortunately, we still have some space to go. So... Uh, we have peace through victory. Uh, God wants us to have that peace. He wants us to overcome the enemies. He wants us to overcome obstacles. He wants us to have peace with God. Uh, let's see. I have overcome the world. We gain that peace through trusting Christ. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the only way we're going to have peace. The only way we're going to have victory. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. In Christ. Has Brother Stewart been bringing up Paul's favorite saying in the Ephesians? Because Brother Stewart's preaching through Ephesians, right? So has he brought up Paul's favorite statement in the book of Ephesians? In him. In Him, in Christ, in the Beloved. That is a fantastic statement. And I hope you all get a hold of that through the book of Ephesians. Because that is a wonderful place to be. In Him. It's all because we are in Him. If you're not in Him, Ephesians was it 2.12, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where you are, outside of Him. You got nothing. So we, we are in Him. We get peace. We get victory in all of this. We have victory. 1 John 4, 4. Keep up with me. We are going somewhere specific, even if it seems we're a little off track. We're not. We're not. We're actually doing good. 1 John chapter 4, and verse 4. (coughs) Excuse me. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have victory because God is greater. God is greater. I, I'm, I have to imagine in all the things that I've said, I get talky too, right, Brother Eric? Uh, I, in all the things that I've said here over the course of years, surely I have brought up the fact that when we're talking about good and evil, God and Satan, it's not a battle of equals. It's not. It's not. Uh, this idea of good versus evil and they're equals, uh, it could be kind of summed up in the picture of the yin-yang. Y'all seen the yin-yang, right? The black and the white that are kind of swirled, chasing each other. And the idea is that good and evil are in this constant struggle and they're equal sides and they're back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes you'll see that yin-yang symbol, symbol that on the black side there's a little bit of white and the white side there's a little bit of black with the idea that... In, in evil there's good, and in good there's evil. None of that's right. None of it's right. Uh, God is greater than all. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and it is not a battle of equals. And just because I enjoy thinking about it and saying it, we know that at the end of the uh, tribulation, God is going to take Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and I always think of it being... The wimpiest, nerdiest, thinnest, smallest little geek of an angel is going to be directed by God to take Satan and put him in the, the uh, bottomless pit just to show Satan that you're not in control. God's in control. God can do what he wants. And I, I know there's not that kind of nerdy angel. But uh, that God I, I believe God wants even Satan to understand. You have tried all these things and you think you're something, but you're not you're not. God is over all, He is other than, and nothing comes close to who He is. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world, and so He can assure you victory through Christ. Revelation 12, verse 11. Just a few more pages to your right, if you don't mind. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Excuse me. I really should drink water. That would help. Revelation twelve eleven, And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Revelation 17 and verse 14. <clears throat> These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. He shall overcome. And again, you get over to, I can't remember if it's eighteen Revelation 18 or 19 right at the moment. But when Christ comes back riding on that white horse and that sword, that sharp sword goes forth from his mouth to destroy the armies that have come against him, the armies of the Antichrist and whoever else is there that's against God, and all the saints robed in white coming back with him, I always wanted to be I always wanted to to convey the idea that we're going to fight alongside of him, but that's just not the case. We are spectators watching the King of Kings and Lord of Lords fight on our behalf. He will win the victory without our help and he will present it to his children complete and total and utter. That is quite a victory. We have victory because God is greater. So, Victory. I want to bring you back to Judges chapter four, chapters four and five. Because I'm I'm going somewhere with this. Now we've got JL here that wins a victory, no doubt. No doubt. And how did she win that victory? I just want you to think about it. I don't need an answer right now this moment. How did she win that victory? Well, she won the victory by taking a hammer and a tent spike and driving it through his head. I understand that is what ended the enemy. I know that. But that's not all she did. That's not everything that she did. And we need to understand where we live today and how God desires for us. He doesn't want us to overcome our enemies through physical force. He doesn't desire... uh, Victory does not come in your life through the physical death of your enemy, your adversary, your opponent, whatever the obstacle might be. You know, it, sometimes it's, it's things and ideas. It's not necessarily a person that we are in contest with that, that, that is bringing that opposition and difficulty. Uh, we're overcoming something that might need to be gotten out of the way and you can't kill concept, really. So what are we supposed to do? If we're not here to kill the enemy, we're not here to go out and, you know, you're not going to get saved, fine, swing the sword. That's not what we're here for. So, what are we supposed to do? And, And really, it's wrapped up in your theme, right? Loving people and preaching Christ. So that what we're looking at here and what we see JL do, I mentioned it with some humor, right? That JL buttered Sisera up, she brought the milk. So I guess I could give you my title now. The title of this message is Kill Him With Kindness. Kill Him With Kindness. I understand there was a death at the end of that, of this account. But God doesn't want us to kill people, but He does want us to be kind to people. He wants us to be kind. He wants us to show forth a loving nature that understands these people outside these walls are not our enemy. They're not people that we're supposed to come against and, and, and shake the fist and, and use our words and whatever else to come against them. We're supposed to give them the gospel. Yeah. We're to show forth a kindness and, compassion, uh, a compassion that goes far beyond any of that. Uh, Proverbs 25, Proverbs 25. And let's see it's verse 21 and 22. This phrase "kill them with kindness" is not in scripture, as it turns out. Um, it is from the the, the earliest uh, origin that I could find for it was in the Taming of the Shrew by William Shakespeare, where he says maybe not the exact phrase "kill them with kindness," but but that the essence of that, that they were to be killed with kindness, something along that lines. Can't remember now, uh, but it's in the Taming of the Shrew or whatever that is for you. That's where it, the, the word came from. Anyway, Proverbs 25. Sorry. <laughs> verse twenty. Proverbs 25, verse 21. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. I turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 where Christ continually ups the ante. <clears throat> and it, I, I really do believe that what Christ shows here is the, the same truth. It, it, it's not, not dramatically changed, other than instead of simple kindness. Um, let's see what he says. Matthew 5, verse 43, forgive me, 43 to 45. Ye have heard that it hath been said. Now when, when Christ makes that statement... He's not saying, uh, Solomon said this. That, you read, that's not what he said. He said, ye have heard that it hath been said. So it was the, the Pharisees, it was religious leaders of that day, who were quoting essentially commentaries of commentaries of commentaries of commentaries of commentaries that had been built up based upon the Old Testament. And they were making their traditions of greater weight than Scripture. And so Jesus is addressing that fact. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Well, that, that was never in the Old Testament. That never, God never designed that. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So that as Christ gives forth this truth, He's bringing us back to where Solomon was, and I suppose, in a way, instead of just you know, being nice, now He's saying, you, you need to love them. You need to love them. God's desire for His children is that we manifest God's character through our lives. Right, because that is the character of God—to love all people. And I, I, I do not claim to be able to understand how God can love some people, because not only you know, sometimes we we talk about the unlovely, and we're talking about some snot-nosed little kid, uh, somebody that's you know their their home life is something else, and we we pick them up maybe on the bus, and uh, boy, it's sometimes it can be hard to love some of those kids. But that is a very small thing in God's eyes. That, that's a very small thing to love that person. What I would think of more along the lines of guys like Hitler and Stalin, horrible people, Jeffrey Dahmer, and pick a serial killer of some kind. God loves those people. Uh, he, he does not condone their wickedness. To be clear about that. But He does love those people. That if they receive Christ as their Savior, then they're saved just like anybody else. God loves them. God loves them. So who are we to do other than what our Lord and Savior has done? Who are we to take some other kind of motion? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Serving God is never easy. But it is simple. It is simple. Love your neighbor. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head and the Lord shall reward thee. Christ will go on here in the Gospels. Uh, if, thine enemy, or if he slaps you, turn the other cheek. I, I, I'm not going to get into it tonight. I do believe there's a difference between showing forth kindness and love and being a doormat. I don't think God wants us to be doormats, but we do need to be loving and kind and compassionate and be willing to, to give of ourselves, to, to sacrifice ourselves. We know, uh, here I've got Galatians 2.20 on here, ah, which I never can remember how it starts. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ, willing to put everything on the line, Willing to be that, that living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to be delightfully different from the world, peculiar peculiar that when the world responds one way we're responding a totally different way not because we're so great and awesome and we've just got an upbeat spirit but because the god of gods lives within inside of us because the holy spirit indwells us because i am in christ then something's going to be different that i'm going to kill him with kindness i'm going to show forth god's love and i'm going to let him work through me to do these things can i can i give a warning though as well when we read these verses, Proverbs 25, 21, and 22, Matthew 5, 43 to 46, or 45, I'm sorry. <clears throat> God does not say, be grudgingly kind. Yeah. God does not say, be kind to them all the while waiting for that comeuppance from God. They're going to get their desserts and we can dance on their grave when it happens. That is not what God says. Not at all. God, I I made the mistake. And Lord willing, I've learned from it. I made the mistake once that I had instructed some people along a certain line and I told them I don't think this is a good idea. I believe if you do this, you're going to make matters worse rather than better. And it may seem like this is the good thing to do, but do not do it. I do not believe this is good. Uh, you You should avoid this. It's not good well, it'll be fixing a mistake. I'm not going to go into all the details with you, but the idea would be, well, we've done this mistake, so we're going to fix it this way. It's not going to fix it. It's not going to fix it. And so sometime later, uh, somebody involved with that situation came up to me and said, well, you know, this people here, they did this, and you know, now it's falling apart. It's not working. And I made the mistake of going, yes, because I was right. I was right. One of the worst things I could have ever done. I never should have done that. I never should have. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew. I knew. But I was totally wrong in that attitude. Totally wrong. I didn't help matters at all. At all. And it was a hard thing to learn. I regret that I had to learn it that way. But since then... I've not responded that way. And I've tried to be very careful that I want to warn people. I want to try to show them what God's desire would be and how to live in a godly way. And when they are warned that I don't get the attitude, I'm just waiting for that time. Someday they did it wrong and now I'm going to be able to say, no, no, no. Now they're in a worse way. uh, Lord willing, they realize the mistake. You've given them good advice, and they they turned away from it, and now it's worse, and they realize it. Now's your chance to help. Not a chance to show forth carnality. Not a chance to show forth that, boy, I was justified, and, man, if you'd have listened to me in the first place. None of that. That is not a godly attitude. Praise the Lord God doesn't do that to us that God doesn't lord it over us. Yeah, I told you it's all right here and you didn't listen. Well, now you're going to pay for it. God does not do that. He is not a God that's waiting to squish us down. He is not a God who's waiting with that big sign, I told you so. He is a God who loves and cares and we need to show forth the same kind of kindness and compassion to say, I want to help you. I truly want to help you. And even if you turn away from it entirely, and it goes south, and you come back again, I still want to help you. I still want to to show you the plan, the perfect plan that God has. Haven't we all experienced the place where we did something wrong, and it became a total mess, and we, like the prodigal, had to come to ourselves and say, it was my fault. I got here. And run back to the Father. And He always welcomes us with open arms. Get the fatted calf. Get a robe, get a ring, get shoes. My son has returned. He wasn't standing there with his hands on his hips. I told you that's not our God, and so we should not be that way either. but to show forth kindness. God, God can deal with all those things. I've got the next verse we're going to look over at Romans 12, Romans 12. I hope nobody is sitting out there listening and thinking, well, he just doesn't think we're kind and compassionate. He just thinks we're a bunch of jerks and just waiting. That's not, that's not it at all. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you because this flesh will want to do something wrong. This flesh will want to say, I told you so, because we all want to be proven Right. right. <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 19. Verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. That doesn't mean give it this special place right up here front on a pedestal. Just have it right there. No, get it out. Get it out. Clear the place where wrath is. Clear that out. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. Uh, give. Uh, let's see, where was I? Give. It, rather give place unto wrath, for it is re- written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. God is greater. God is greater. He can overcome all that. We don't have to lower ourselves. We don't have to debase ourselves. We don't have to take up the mentality of of the wicked. We can be kind and compassionate and loving and God can do something great and wonderful. Maybe God is working to bring that person to themselves so that they'll come back to God. Come back to God, come to God in the first place, whatever the case might be. And we're not trying to heap coals of fire on their head, we're just trying to be kind And let God do His work. And let God use that kindness to show them there's a better way. That the way God has for us is better. He can correct, He can chastise, and we're not going to get into the whole aspect that when we try to do vengeance that we're going to balance the accounts. That's never how it works. We always go too far, and then the other person goes farther, and then we just take it back and forth. No, no, no. Be done with all that. Just show forth kindness. I, uh... Over the years of being pastor and and even in any kind of full-time service, there have been times where I had to eat crow for the common good. I still don't like the taste of it, but sometimes you just have to do that. It's like, you know what? It's not about me getting my way. It's not about me being right. But what is going to allow God to do His work? And I can humble myself. I can show forth a little bit of kindness. Try and be a little understanding. Try to find out all that I can before I jump in and start doing something. It's me again. I, I am a... Let's see, now I can't remember what it is. Um, I am task-oriented. It means I cannot multitask. One thing at a time. One thing. And if I try to get going too fast... I know me. I'll mess something up. I try to do too many things at once. I try to rush into things. I'm going to mess something up. I've got to take my time. I've got to be slow. Let God work. Let God work in my own head. That um, I don't know how many times I've been sitting down with people listening to things I did not want to hear. I did not want to receive it. I did not want any part of this. But just take the information... And let God work in my head and in my heart and realize, you know what? I see where this is coming from and I can see some of what I think God is working towards and so let's do this in a way that isn't my way but it's God's way. Show forth some kindness and be patient. Boy, God will work well. God will work well. He knows what he's doing. He knows. Sometimes, uh, Brother Eric mentioned it again this morning, we have two ears and one mouth. Let's, let's take that proportion into, in, into uh, uh, the whole scenario. Let's consider that fact and understand to listen and show forth kindness. Stand with me if you would.